Welcome again to the Village Church. I have a couple of announcements for you today. Uh, we have fellowship pads on the aisles. If you've been with us for more than a Sunday, you'll recognize those. If you fill those out and pass those out to the aisle, and that way we have a record of everybody's attendance. And if you're a visitor with us, if you could just put your uh, address information so we can get in touch with you and thank you for your visit today. Uh, for offering, we have an offering plate in the back uh, by the back door, so we don't take up a formal offering. That doesn't uh, mean that we don't see the offering, though, as a part of our worship. Uh, it's not your payment for attending. It's not something you do uh, just in response to what we've done, but it's something that you do for God. It's something that we do in obedience to God's Word. So that's, uh, that's there. Uh, there's a prayer box on the table in the uh, in the foyer, as well as a couple other things I'd like to draw your attention to. There's a sign-up sheet for link volunteers out there. Uh, and then the uh, last couple of announcements, the small groups uh, are kicking off for the fall on the 16th. So that's next Sunday, right? Next Sunday, small group kickoffs. And then the SEC classes, our Sunday equipping classes, those start... Uh, on September the 13th, and if you've not heard, we have a cultural intelligence class coming up in the adult uh, Bible study, a six-week class that should be uh, very, very revealing, and, and we just are looking forward to that. Uh, so anyway, let's, uh, let's go back to prayer now and uh, just join me. Father, we thank you again for bringing us together this morning. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for this church. We thank you for this body. Lord, we praise you for providing for us, providing a place for us to meet. Father, we praise you for a common salvation that draws us together. Oh, Lord, we just praise you so much. Uh, Father, we, we lift up the many needs that we have here. Father, there's an officer's retreat coming up next weekend. Father, we just pray that you would bless that time. Father, I pray that it would be a time when uh, the, the leaders of our church are able to, to come and, and uh, grow closer together uh, and to just seek you and your, your vision for this place. Father, we lift up uh, our congregation as we all get back into our fall routines. As classes start, Sunday equipping classes, SEC classes. Everybody's going back to school. The roads are busier. You know, things are changing for the fall. And, Father, I pray that you just help us to, uh, to move smoothly into these routines. And, Father, we just thank you that you care about even the, the little details in our lives. Father, there's nothing so small that it doesn't uh, escape your notice. There's nothing so big that's beyond your power. Father, we just uh, we lift up as we've already prayed the ministries that we're associated with here, and we think of, uh, we just pray for Lincoln Village Ministries, Lincoln Academy, and Little Link, Link that will be meeting here in our facility starting this fall. Father, we just lift up those ministries and pray your blessings on them. Lord, we love you, and we just lift up now our pastor, and we praise you for him. Father, I pray that you would strengthen him and equip him and fill him with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would speak through him in a powerful way this morning. And, Father, help us to be ready hearers of the word. And, Father, not just hearers, but, Father, help us as we leave here to be doers of your word. Father, I just pray that you would encourage us and challenge us. 
Father, uh, help us to be obedient. Give us the faith that we need to follow you in full, complete obedience. We love you, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Good morning again to everyone. If you uh, have your Bible, please open it to Acts chapter 4. We're going to finish talking about the war room today. Verses 23 through 31. Prayer is the uh, war room that we all must enter on a daily basis in our life of constant spiritual warfare. And so when you look over your life this week, did you enter your war room this week? How often did you enter it? Prayer is just like all the other members of the gospel league, like prayer and the word. And the league is here for your benefit to help you stand. And, and beloved, it's, it's not enough just to listen to these sermons to feed your intellect. It's not enough just to be emotionally moved by these sermons. You must put them into practice, too. These words, God's word, must be put into practice. You must cry out to the Spirit. I must cry out to the Spirit. We must spend time in the Word devotionally. We must enter the war room and pray often. They're they're tools for our benefit. And we must use them. Do we use them? Do you use them? We entered the war room last week with the early church. And we saw some of the content of their war room. We saw what happened once they went in. They began with these words. It says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David said by, said by the Holy Spirit. The early church approached God the Father in a certain way. They approached him as one who is in control of all things, one who is sovereign over all aspects of creation. And when you enter the war room, You have to go in there with the right belief about who God is. Who is he? He is sovereign Lord. Now today we're going to look at the rest of the content of this prayer. So I'll begin reading. This is God's word, not the word of man. Beginning in verse 23. When they were released, that is Peter and John, They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness 
while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word, holy word. Please pray with him for me. Father, there's no easy or light thing to handle your word. Forgive me for at times thinking such. Forgive me for that. And I come and, and I pray that your spirit, Lord, will, will move me to the side, my ego, my, my need for approval, my need to always preach good sermons. Move all that to the to side, Lord. Because it's all for self-glory. I can deny it. But I know what my heart feeds upon. And it's not always Christ. And even as I pray this prayer, I need to ask you to forgive me of that. So, Spirit, I pray that, that you would take these words and apply them to my heart that I will believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. You know what we need to hear. You know what we deal with. You know the issues. You know our pain. You know what we have lost. You see it as clear as day. Please minister to it today. Minister to the people of God today. Give us a word. Pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. After the other early church um, approached the Father in fear and reverence and, and awe, next they, they prayed Scripture back to God. That is the next uh, content in the war room, praying the Word back to God. You see, the Word of God is God's will. Praying the Word by the Spirit is praying God's will back to Him. And there is no greater prayer to pray than the Word of God, says T. Austin Sparks. And he is right. He is right. Praying the word of God by the Spirit is praying God's will back to him. This is what the, the early church did here. And they prayed to God a few verses from one of the Psalms. Listen to, to what it says in verses 25 and 27. Sovereign Lord, who through the mouth of our Father, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? And the kings set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. These verses are from Psalm 2, which was written by King David. You see, the, for the early church, the Old Testament was the scriptures. It was the word to the church. And they believed it to be the inspired word of God. That's why they said God spoke these words through his servant David, by the Holy Spirit. Historically, in that context, these words in, in verses 25 and 26 were written by David to all the Davidic kings that were supposed to come after him. David was Yahweh's man. David, Yahweh chose David to be king over his people after he rejected Saul. He handpicked David from among all his brothers. 1 Samuel 16, Yahweh said to, Saul, to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, for, for I have 
provided for myself a king from among his sons. And we know that king was David. And notice what the Lord told Samuel to do. Go to Jesse's house. Fill your horn with oil. What's the purpose of the oil? Samuel was going to anoint David to be king for the office of kingship. And he did in 1 Samuel 16, 13. He took the horn of oil and anointed David in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him from that day forward. So that term anointed in here in verse 26 is referring to David historically in context. For the kings of Israel were anointed to, by Yahweh to be his king. And they were supposed to rule his people wisely, godly. King David began Psalm 2 with, this, with the same question the church prayed here. Why did the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? Why do the kings set themselves up? Why do the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed? Pagan peoples, pagan kings, unbelieving nations and kingdoms gather against Yahweh and his anointed. The plots are in vain because they want to hinder his cause and his purpose. And they do it with the belief that they can achieve it. They think they can prevail. Have you ever asked that question in your royal room? Have you ever prayed that question? Why do people plot against Christ and his church? Why do the nations plot against our values? Why? Have you asked that question? You see, the early church, they prayed this question with confidence. Because they know what the answer is. You should know what the answer is, too. You should know and believe that these plots and these correlations against Yahweh will not stop Yahweh and his plans. The early church knew this and they believed this. And listen, they knew the rest of Psalm 2. They knew the rest of it. What they prayed was just the first two verses. It was just the first two verses. Let me read to you what, 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 what verse 4 says. In Psalm 2, I'll read it. You don't have to turn there. Why do the nations rage and, and plot and the people's plot in vain and the kings set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord, against his anointing, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laugh, he holds them in discretion. He who sits in heaven laughs at their plots, at their scheming. Why does he laugh? Because he's Yahweh Elohim. He is sovereign God. There is nothing they can do to dethrone him. There's nothing they can do to undermine him. There's nothing they can do. Their sin does not hinder his plan. It does not. And this is something that the, the early church is reminding themselves of when they're praying this prayer. Why do they do it? It's foolish. But they do it anyway. They do it anyway. Yahweh Elohim, he's never scared of what sinful people do. He's never scared of it. He's not worried about what rebellious people do to undermine him. 
They won't. Because our God is a big God. That's what I said last Sunday. And his existence is not dependent upon what we believe about him. His existence is not dependent upon how many people bow down to him. He is and who was forever, regardless of who believes in him and who doesn't. He is going to have his way. He is going to have his way. And there's nothing that evil people can do to stop it. Just because certain ones in our country would not believe in our values does not undermine what God is doing here. It does not stop what he's doing. He is still advancing his kingdom. He is still advancing his purposes. But do we as his people believe it or do we believe the enemy? They think that somehow God is losing this battle. That somehow our God is somehow not in control anymore. Who do you believe? Who do you trust in? Who is our Savior? Who is truly our God? Who is he? Is it Yahweh Elohim? Is it Sovereign Lord? Or is it some idol that is not really God? Who is he? Who do you believe? Who do you trust? Sovereign Lord, that's who God is. And he's sovereign over all things. That means these nations and these kingdoms and these rebellious people will never undermine him. They may plot. They may do it. But guess what? They all are still under his control. You see, what they don't realize is that their rebellion and their revolts are being used by Yahweh to achieve his purposes. This is what they don't realize. They don't realize that. That our God is using their disobedience to fulfill his purposes in this world. We should know that. This is what the people here in in the early church are praying about. This is what he's always has done. And he continues to do it today. They saw the big picture of their big God. They saw it, but do we see it as Christians in America? Do we see the big picture of our big God? Praying the word is not only you praying God's will back to him, but it's, you, but it's allowing the word to shape you and what you believe and how you think about things that are taking place in your life. That our God is in control of what is taking place in this world. I don't care what the news says. He is still in control. Now, there's much anxiety in our country right now. People are nervous. They feel it. I often feel it. You may feel it. There's anxiety about the deal with Iran. There's anxiety about how the police do their jobs. There's anxiety about race relations, about making a dollar out of 15 cents because we don't have no money. People are scared. There's anxiety over losing religious freedoms. We worry about our kids. We worry about not being able to to, to defend those who cannot defend themselves. We worry about trying to make ends meet. We worry about broken relationships. We worry about health care, health issues. We worry about the upcoming presidential election. We all worry about those things. You can deny it all you want. We all worry about it. We all are anxious about them. Every American is. Even those who are believers are anxious about these things. We are. The country is anxious. And she's longing. Particularly those who are not Christians. 
We're longing for, for that one candidate who's going to go into the Oval Office and make everything right. That's, who, that's, what, we like. that's, what, that's what the pagans in this country are worried about. We've got to get that one person who sits in the Oval Office. It's going to make all the anxieties go away. Who's going to fix every bad decision. And we got a glimpse of it this week with the debates, and we get another glimpse of it throughout all the debates. But there is only one who can take care of your anxiety, and it's not man. There is only one, and that is Jesus. And that's it, period. Only one. The anxieties that people are feeling right now, the only one who can heal it, who can redeem it, is Jesus. But do we as his people believe that? Because if we don't believe it, you ain't going to share it with other people. You got to believe it for yourself. That he can come in and heal it. Wherever you may feel, whatever you may be going through, he can do it. You have to bring Jesus into the war room with you when you pray. You cannot forget about him. And the early church did. So they prayed the scripture back to God, and then they prayed to God about Jesus. You see, the early church, they knew Psalm 2 was written by King David. They knew King David was known to be king over Israel. They knew King David was Yahweh's servant. They knew the historical context of the psalm. It was about David and, and all the kingly descendants that would come from him. But yet they connected this psalm to Christ. They connected this psalm to Christ. Look at verse 27. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Do you see what the early churches did here? This is some good biblical interpretation. They see Christ in the Old Testament. They see him as the true fulfillment of Psalm 2, that he is the one who has been anointed by Yahweh. Like David, Jesus was Yahweh's servant. Unlike David, Jesus was Yahweh's holy servant. He was more than just a man. He was otherworldly. He was divine. Like David, he was also anointed by Yahweh. And for Christ, was anointed as Messiah, the Christ, the one who was going to come to make all things right. And what kind of Christ was he? What kind of Messiah was he? Was he a political Messiah who was going to come undermine the Romans? That's what the apostles thought he was. What kind of Christ was he? Suffering Christ. A suffering Christ. And Peter says it back in Acts 3. But God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that his Christ would suffer. Thus fulfilled. Jesus did suffer. And it came from the hands of those who gathered against him. Who gathered against Jesus? It was Herod. It was Pilate. It was the Gentiles. It was his own people as well. Herod gathered against Jesus at his birth. He tried to kill him. He tried to kill baby Jesus. Pilate gathered against Jesus at the end of his life. The Gentiles and the people of Israel were against Jesus throughout his life. What's the point? The point is there was was no point in Jesus' life when he didn't have people against him. That's the point. He always had people against him. You see, the Jesus we, our culture like, is the Jesus who make enemies. 
that Jesus didn't, people didn't like Jesus. Some of them did, but people in power didn't. You think if Jesus walked the streets of America, would he be accepted or would he be rejected? Which one? He would be rejected. And we would still say, crucify him. Truly. That's what would happen. So they plotted against Jesus. They schemed against Jesus. They meant harm and evil toward Jesus. And they beat Jesus. They tortured Jesus. And they eventually crucified him. Those who were against him. And guess what? When they did it, they thought they won. When they did it, they thought they had the victory. They thought they had shut him up. They thought they had put him down, and they thought they had checkmated Jesus. But they were sadly mistaken. They were sadly mistaken. Sadly mistaken. He who sits in heaven laughs. He laughs. Because what they did to Jesus did not undermine God's plan. Because the unjust killing of Jesus was part of Yahweh's plan in the beginning. It was part of the plan. Even though they were personally responsible for it, Yahweh still used their sin to fulfill the purpose for his Christ. And what was the purpose for his Christ? It was to suffer. And he suffered. And it was fulfilled. And the early church, again, understood this. The suffering of Christ was part of God's plan for redemption. Part of God's plan for redemption. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant, whom you appointed whom, whom you appointed to do oh sorry, and I lost my spot. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take. What is the early church saying here? What are they saying by these words? It was part of the plan. You predestined that Jesus would suffer on that cross. That he should die as payment for sins. The sins of those who were against him. He died on the cross as your substitute in your place. And his death saves you from the wrath of God. Please know that on that cross, all of God's wrath came down upon Jesus for the sins of the world. That's what took place there. That's what his suffering was for. And I want you to also see that, that the church is communicating something here. That people who are lost in their sins will always be against God and God's way of life. Period. There ain't nothing you can do to convince lost people to agree with your values about life. There ain't nothing you can do. Nothing. They are lost. They are spiritually dead. And they need the redeeming blood of Jesus in order for them to embrace what you believe about God. You can't argue them into the kingdom. You can't beat them into the kingdom. You can't pass laws that's going to bring them into the kingdom. They have to be redeemed into the kingdom, just like you were. Redeemed into the kingdom. And until that happens, they will always be against what we believe. They will always be against what we believe. 
people have always been against God. Throughout church history, throughout the Bible history, against his way of life, against his kingdom. And he has always used their rebellion and plots against him to fulfill his purposes. During the life of David, that happened. During the life of Jesus, that happened. But do we see this reality? Do we accept this reality? Because what is beginning to happen to the church in America is not abnormal. The feelings that you've been feeling like you've been pushed down to the minority is not abnormal. It's normal for Christians. That's normal. The church historically has always operated from the fringes, from the shadows, in the minority. Always. Read church history. It's always been true. And so what is happening, this feeling of being rejected, the feeling that certain people are against us, is normal. Welcome to the club. Welcome to, our, welcome to what our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing. That's normal. We want what Jesus never had. We don't want people to be against us. We want them to accept us. The founder of our faith, brothers and sisters, had people against him from the womb to the grave, and so shall we. So shall we. He promised us many things, but he never promised us the right to gather like this. That's, that's not in the scriptures. He never promised religious freedoms that we have in America. I love it, but the, he never promised those things. What he promised was, I'll be with you to the end. And if they, if they persecuted me, they're going to do the same thing to you. He did promise those things. So please understand, some of the things that we got were never promised by God to be, we have. That benefits because of the country we live in. I love it. Trust me. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather be a Christian here than other places. But I'm trying to tell you, those promises that we have here are not always gospel promises. And if we lose them, don't think God is abandoning you. Because he never promised you to have them in the beginning. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. If you lose those things, that doesn't mean God is leaving you. He is still with you. To the end. But we got to believe it. we got to believe it. That he would not forsake us or abandon us. We cannot have a Christianity in which we don't bear our cross. We all have a cross to bear. And at some point, the church in America will have to bear that cross. And when that happens, we're either going to stand or some of us are going to be shaking out like salt. Stand. And what gets you to standing is faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. That's what empowers you to stand. The world, will, the unbelieving world, will always be against him. It has been and will always continue to be so. Remember, Peter and John were arrested. They were arrested. Because they did a gospel deed, they healed a blind beggar. They preached the gospel, and they did gospel standing. They did it all in Jesus' name, and they were arrested for it, basically for doing a good deed. And they went to jail. Why? Because people are against Christ. So in this prayer, they reminded God of how he used the plots of sinful people 
to fulfill his purposes in life of David and in life of, of Jesus. And now he wants them to do the same thing for them. And so the, the third content of the war room is that supplication and intercession for themselves. You see, the, this prayer flowed from God's work in David's life to Jesus' life and now to the work in the early church's life. Look at verses 29-31. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They want him. Notice they, they didn't ask him to take away the threats. They didn't ask him to make it easy. They wanted him to look upon those threats against them the same way he did for David and Jesus. That means he would use them to further your purpose. Use my suffering to further your purpose, Yahweh Elohim. That's what they're praying for. They're not saying, make my life easy. As I live my life here, make it easy. Make it comfortable. No, use my suffering. Use what's going to come to fulfill your purpose in my life. The same way you've always done. Same way you have always done. Because you know that no matter what happens, the church and Christ's purposes will always stand. You cannot pray that prayer if you don't believe in Jesus, that he is good and he has your back in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of what you may go through for the cross and the gospel. You won't pray that prayer. Only if you have faith and trust that he will use whatever you may go through fulfill his purposes. You can pray it. These threats against the early church was not going to hinder God's plan in the book of Acts. We're just in the beginning stages of the book of Acts. What happens throughout the book? Did God's plan get hindered? No. The plans go forward. They go out in boldness. So use this book as a, as a, a way to encourage yourself. If God did it for them, he would do it for you too in what you go through the kingdom. He would do it. He would use our suffering to advance his kingdom. They wanted him to empower them and to strengthen them to do something. That's something that we all are responsible to do. He says, grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. All boldness. They refer to themselves as servants. Just like they said David was Yahweh's servant, and Jesus was Yahweh's servant. Now they are the same servants with the same function, taking the word to the nations. There is no other group of people that have the responsibility to take the gospel to their dying and lost neighbors but us, Christians. Christians. You want to see change? In our culture, share the gospel. Love people. Walk beside people in Christ. Be there with them. Do gospel deeds to least the deeds. Do gospel preaching. Do gospel standing. You want to see change? That'll change. That'll work. That'll do it. Do those things. Because that's what it means to preach the word of God. Do it with boldness in your life. Where God has you, wherever you are, that is your field, your neighborhood, your job, your school. There are a lot of lost people there. 
gospel deeds, gospel preaching, gospel standing. And in your real room, ask the Holy Spirit to give you boldness, that you will be dauntless when you share the word, when you stand on the word, fearless, with confidence, unashamed in the face of opposition. Embrace the opposition. <laughs> Embrace it. When people stand against you, it's okay. Because that's the norm. That's the norm. It is our responsibility to, to speak the word, but it is also, but it's God's responsibility to do something else. And the early church said this, God, as we, as we do our responsibility, you stretch out your hand to heal. You stretch out your hand to heal. Heal the brokenness. Heal the brokenness. As we preach the word in boldness, you heal. You perform signs and wonders in the name of Christ. You do your part, we do our part. We're going to share the word, but the healing is all you. The healing is all you. And that's the perspective you have to have. So when you see and when you pray about your life and your families and your broken relationships in our community, in our world, your responsibility, our responsibility is to preach the word with boldness. Gospel deeds, gospel preaching, gospel standing. It's God's job to bring the healing of the brokenness. You have to pray for it. Will you pray for it? Will you pray that signs and wonders will be done in Jesus' name? Pray for those things. So after the church prayed this prayer, God answered it. What happened? And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Man, I wish that could happen today. People were shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Not like at Pentecost. They were just filled with more of his power to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. I love that. Do you love that? So what I want us to do before I close in prayer, I want us to pray that the God would give us boldness. Now, if the building is shaped, don't freak out. <laughs> it's, it's the Spirit moving. So, whatever the Holy Spirit placed on your heart, just pray that God would give us boldness to continue to share His Word and deed and, and Word and in our actions. Then I close our time in a moment.
Father God, as we leave here today, I pray that your spirit will fill us with an extra measure of his power. That we will continue to speak your word in boldness. That as we are in our war room and we're praying that the spirit will fill us and to remind us that you are all that you are working your plan of redemption. You are working your plan of making all things new. And your church is part of that plan. You use us, Lord, to further that plan in this world. And so for all of us individually, as our families, Lord, I pray that, that you your spirit Lord, will move, Lord, in a powerful way. Equip us, Lord, to be the saints that we can be wherever you have us, on our jobs, in our neighborhood, in our families, Lord. Help us, Lord, to, to be in the war room as we continue to deal with the spiritual warfare that we deal with daily. Help us to bend our knees, Lord, truly crying out to you, truly knowing that we need Holy Spirit power. We need boldness, that we have to pray for these things. We have to be in humility before you in prayer. And so, Lord, we don't have all the answers. We, we, are, we are not perfect people. But we serve a perfect God who does have all the answers. And so I pray that we leave here in confidence, trusting in you more. And I pray for all of our kids, Lord, as they go back to school this second week, be with them, strengthen them. And, and, and hopefully, Lord, I pray that many of them who don't know you, that you would bring them in to saving faith. And we pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service? Amen.